Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Brenda Williamson. Brenda is head of school at the Canadian International School, Vietnam. Brenda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. First of all, can you tell uh, listeners a bit about who you are and, I mean, it's pretty clear what you do from what I just mentioned, but uh, a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, sure. Um, I think, first of all, it's probably not that clear to most listeners. People think that they know what happens in the school every day, and I think most people would be shocked at the things that uh, that leadership teams do in schools. So um, oftentimes people ask me about you know what a typical day is, and I have no idea. I have no idea what... Uh, what other people interpret a typical day as, but I have never had a typical day. So, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I am. Um, I'm an American, as you can probably hear from my accent. Uh, I started off my career in education as a teacher, like a lot of people do, um, and then uh, through kind of the 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 focus of my time, my life here on Earth has been service to people. And that mm. took me on a bit of an adventure, which has turned into international school leadership. Um, it started with uh, working with a small school in Indonesia that was a, a national school. And over time and through not only Indonesia, but Korea, Vietnam, where I currently am, and in the future, I'll be returning to Indonesia, working with people who are trying to do education well. So, uh, so I've kind of taken the roundabout journey and fallen a little bit backward into international education, um, but it is a little different from education that's practiced in each country because with international education, of course, we're, we're working with students with a variety of cultural backgrounds. So it mm -hmm. requires a bit of cultural skill and ability to adapt and, uh, and, uh, and not only legally, but, you know, professionally and, uh, you know, uh, understanding families and what they desire for education is blending of a lot of different things. So, you know, in my background also, I have um, uh, obviously my doctorate, uh, which I've done in education, but uh, interestingly, and added to that, uh, a bit of time with Harvard Graduate School of Education um, on some advanced leadership uh, items that I've thoroughly enjoyed learning about in the last oh, 10 years or so. And some of those things have been quite useful to me as a leader uh, in international education. And I'd love to share those through our conversation today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to chatting about that. Before we pressed record, we were just having a little conversation about that. And I was saying how much uh, I'm keen to learn from you and I think listeners will be really keen to, to learn something as well as we unpack a bit of that. Uh, first, can you tell us uh, a bit of your story? You know, go back as far as you want, even, even to childhood. What are some of those moments in Brenda's life that have really shaped you becoming the leader and the person that you are today? 
That's a great question. Um, I, I consider myself a bit of a, a servant leader uh, in that I, I need to, you know, discover, um, you know, what, what it is that people need um, out of my role as a leader. And so uh, that does start in childhood for me. My, my father was a military, um, a military man. Uh, I grew up as a military brat in the United States Navy, uh, particularly and especially in the submarine service, which is very unique. Um, and so my father was a servant to his country and a servant leader uh, as mm. part of his uh, responsibilities in leading a crew of submarine Navy uh, men. Uh, and so uh, that was certainly an example to me growing up. And then uh, for me, uh, my background uh, in, in the church uh, did influence me and mm. learned a lot about how to work with people and to have a service orientation uh, on life. And that, yes. you know, bloomed into, uh, you know, what's my platform to serve the world? What's my rent or my uh, dues that I owe the world? And how do mm. I, I do that as an adult? So uh, all of that influenced me uh, along the way. Uh, and particularly, I think the people in my life that were service oriented. Uh, my personality, I think, is very set. I, I think I was always destined to be a leader. Um, I think that's that's something that when you're in your your youth and your 20s, you struggle with because people don't want to follow necessarily. <laughs> um, but you know, you 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 grow through that by having relationships with other people uh, that 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 support and help you understand how to um, coach others. Uh, because I was coached, because I was supported, because I was given feedback and and correction and supported in my development as a leader, uh, you know, uh, leading up to the point when I could be, quote unquote, an official leader, you know, uh, have yeah. a, a career in it or uh, have a responsibility in life that uh, that required me to step up to that plate. Yeah, that's uh, thank you for sharing some of your journey. And uh, I guess for you, as you've as you've sort of taken more senior leadership roles, are there any moments that really stand out that have been particularly pivotal in your leadership journey where you, uh, you know, sometimes it's watching another leader do something incredible or, or, or lead through a, a crisis and, and you're just in awe. Other times we drop the ball and that's actually super formative and we go, mm -hmm. I need to work out how to do that better. Like any moments um, as more of a senior leader that come to mind like that? Uh, yeah, I would say that I've learned a lot more from uh, not necessarily just watching failure, but being part of failure, uh, watching things that you plan uh, not go the way that you expected. Um, yeah. And so certainly I've had uh, experiences with that as a, as a senior school leader, um, for example, curriculum initiatives uh, that that seemed right, seemed to fit you think you've done your homework on, you think you're ready to bring that to the community, to the families, to the teachers, to the, um, to the, to the school in general. Um, and uh, I, I can think of one in particular that was uh, uh, planned and, and executed and resources were brought and uh, we did not have a, a successful implementation mm. of it for a variety of reasons. And, uh, I think I learned a lot from bringing that back 
uh, trying to bring that back from the brink of utter failure on that, uh, you know, when parents are complaining and teachers <laughs> are complaining, uh, yeah. and you really believe in the direction that you're going, uh, there's a lot that needs to be done there. Um, you know, from a leader's perspective, it's, you know, you're, you're choosing, do I continue to, to let this initiative fail or do I continue to bring my belief to it and mm. figure out how to shore it up, how to, how to make sure that, uh, that the areas that are causing it to struggle are, are, are supported and, you know, and, and really politically and, and uh, through good communication, help people to understand the direction that I'm going in and, and rescue this, this situation. So, um, you know, I'm thinking of one particular math curriculum that we tried to install, um, which was very, very different. The curriculum itself was from Singapore. At that time, Singapore had some of the highest uh, scores in the world on some international maths assessments of their students. And so we took this curriculum from Singapore, hoping to raise the ability of our students to think mathematically. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, lots of time spent in understanding, uh, learning from others about the curriculum, not mm -hmm. enough time spent uh, thinking about how to communicate the vast differences between mm -hmm. what parents and families and teachers expected from a math curriculum and what they actually got. Um, so it was such a different approach uh, that, that uh, we, we really had to take a step back and figure out, number one, how to shore up my teachers, um, the people that are communicating that new initi initiative, um, how they can work with families. Uh, we started working on things like, like uh, you know, meetings with parents and meetings, uh, written uh, documentation to help parents to see how we were doing things very differently with this Singapore curriculum than they were used to uh, and how they could help their students. Um, so we spent a lot of time doing additional, I spent a lot of time meeting more with teachers, uh, getting outside experts to meet with them uh, to, to help understand it more clearly and what the outcome would be. And then uh, we spent quite a lot of time with parents and families, helping them understand to make that big adjustment. So um, to me, that, that initiative was an initiative that was really on the brink. It was ready to fail. It was ready for uh, collapse with, you know, when you have... Uh, the users of your, you know, what you're producing unhappy, um, as a leader, you're, you, you're either addressing that or you're letting go of that initiative. And so I'm, I'm glad that we were able to bring that back from the brink because I do think it was, uh, it was the right curriculum and the right, uh, timing for that curriculum to support yeah. the needs of our students. Um, but I learned a lot about, communication through that and, and, and sought out some tools to help me with what are the elements that I really need to shore up here. Um, so I, I have my own tool set that sort of says, okay, when you're going to bring out an initiative, you need to think about, have you resourced people? Have you talked enough about the mission? Have you talked enough about, um, you know, uh, uh, how we envision that going down the road? Uh, so I think, you know, when we talk about seminal experiences that influence you as a leader, I think, again, having something that was really on the verge of failing and figuring out a way to bring it back, that was that was pretty seminal to me because it 
it influenced everything going forward, right? So now mm -hmm. I no longer approach initiatives the same way. I approach mm -hmm. them making a plan for each of those areas that I know needs to be addressed if I want to roll out something new. That's a fantastic story. And uh, that what I love about that story is schools, you, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you, when you talked about how people don't understand what a head of school does. Um, and actually uh, on, a, on a tangent, something that came to mind uh, working with a lot of heads of schools is how much um, how interruptible school leaders have to be. It's uh, it's just it, it's uh, that's something I found anyway. You just constantly there's constantly things going on that every day is different and that a lot of people don't realize. That certainly shocked me when I started working with school leaders. I went, how do you um you you must have to like the idea of carving multiple times where you don't sort of get distracted or interrupted. Um, is is much harder in a school environment. So that's just something I have a lot of respect mm -hmm. for for school leaders because it's it's a fascinating environment. Um, but what I love about your story is how much <laughs> you're, you know, working with stakeholders, rolling that curriculum out, the principles apply across, you know, it could have been any sector, it could have been any corporation, it could have been any stakeholders. I'm interested to know, as you reflect on it, you gave us a great, uh, I guess, summary of the journey. But if you had to pick one key, what was what was the key thing that you felt um, you weren't doing when it when it wasn't working? And then what was the key thing that you did or the lever that you pulled out of what you just mentioned that you feel like really turned it around? I'm going to say um, that uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to identify an exact key thing, but I think in general, conceptually, the idea mm. would be um, that you do a little bit of a, a, a smaller thing <laughs> in order to see how, it, how well it runs or how well it, um, it does before you do a larger thing on a bigger scale. So you scale it back a bit and perhaps um, what I might have done differently uh, is to walk through that initiative with one particular teacher uh, or with one yes. particular group of teachers before I rolled it out to an entire school uh, and just seen, you know, what became the blind spots. So, for example, uh, we figured out, you know, one of the teacher's big complaints was, wow, there's a lot of preparation in order to do this math curriculum, I have to prepare so much. And what they what they were preparing was actual physical manipulatives uh, that mm. students would use. And it was taking up a lot of time. Well, that's very, that's very fixable. I can find some parent volunteers that can come in and do that. But I didn't know it was an issue yes. until uh, it was already in the classroom being used in the classroom. And so it's a fixable issue, but if I had run that through with one particular teacher or with a small group of teachers, I would have discovered that issue earlier. Uh, and I think, again, communication, I think is, is probably the, the key area there is how well am I communicating that vision, but also how well am I doing that at a smaller scale on an experiment basis before I get to the bigger scale and roll it all out. Um, and, you know, I, I see how that influenced things over the course of my career because it forced me to do, um, for example, I, I do professional development a lot with teachers, mm. you know, so we're, they're coming into a seminar of some kind. I want it to be a workshop so that they're actually doing what, you know, what I'm 
I'm wanting them to do. Uh, and I, I rarely do that now without a small group of de facto teachers that I bring in and, and, and work it through with a smaller group. Um, you know, again, experimenting with the smaller group to see what works and what doesn't work. Because when I roll it out to the, to the larger group, I want to know, I want to know based on my own, uh, little, little experiment, what is it that worked and didn't work for that smaller group and, and, and therefore helps me focus on the bigger group and being more efficient with the bigger group. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely bring that from, from that experience with the math curriculum. And I say, and I think I've, I've, I brought that from seeing some failure and really doing a little bit of double loop learning. Like this is what I believed beforehand. And now once that, that initiative or that, or that professional development has started and has been, has been going on, I, I need to loop back around and see if my initial beliefs were true. And that's more easily accomplished. I think, uh, again, with, with better communication and input from, the people that I serve. That's, uh, that's so clever and really reminds me of uh, one of my favorite books, Blue Ocean Strategy, where they talk about rolling out strategy, um, you know, really trans- transformational initiatives and these sort of things. And, um, and they use the example of Apple stores, you know, um, as they, they built one Apple store and then they reviewed and then they they tested, you know, they use that one store. And that's what I'm hearing you describe is, is actually take one person, one stakeholder, one class, roll it out with them and do all the fact finding. Because, um, you know, if you realize you need to knock down a wall, so to speak, it's way easier and cheaper. And, um, you know, just it ticks all the boxes if you have to only knock down one wall and then build the rest of them without that wall. Whereas if you go and build 30 stores at once, so to speak, in terms of how you roll it out, and then you realize, wait a second, that wall's actually in the way in every location. Suddenly you've got an expensive um, and time-consuming and you know inefficient sort of process. So I think that's um, – but I've never applied that thinking to rolling out a strategic, you know, something like um, curriculum. So I, I love that point of view. That's, that's really helpful. Hmm. So let's chat yeah, about your work that- with – Sorry, I was I was just going to um I'm I'm really itching to ask you about your work with Harvard <laughs> because yeah. I know you're so passionate about it. <laughs> so tell me and yeah. tell our listeners about your work with with Harvard and then let's unpack that a little bit. Sure. Um so I think that one thing that I find many particularly women leaders struggle with is uh sort of this imposter syndrome where we're all out there going, if I only knew a little bit more information, I would be the leader I'm destined to be, or I would be the the person I'm destined to be if I just knew what other people know, right? Mm, yeah. um, and I think, ironically, I think that's just not achievable. That's the, that's the um, you can read all day long, but you really actually have to you know, practice and experiment with things, right? So um, what I really loved about uh, finishing my doctorate was, you know, it's a terminal degree. It's called a terminal degree. I'm done with it. Right. But I didn't feel like after I finished my degree, I didn't feel like I had arrived. And that's, that's the, that sort of, um, you know, 
feeling that I'm talking about here where you just, you're expecting to arrive and you don't arrive, right? It, you know, it's, it's just always a, a growth process as a leader. You're always changing and adjusting. You're always learning new things. Um, and so what I loved about having finished that doctorate and finding a, 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 cert, a certificate program from Harvard Graduate School of Education called KALE, uh, it's the Certificate in Advanced Educational Leadership that I have completed, but there are other certificates available from, from Harvard Graduate School of Education um, aimed, I think, toward this idea. Um, they've skimmed off the tools from their mm. doctoral program and provide you the opportunity and the environment to work with other people uh, in the program to use those tools in the context of your school. And so that's the, that's what, um, that's what I've done is, is taken seriously some of the tools that were provided and have been applying those to my own leadership over the last couple of years and have really found them very effective in doing just what I've been mentioning, which is experimenting. Um, you know, I, I, you know, experimenting a bit with things and, and thinking about how to, uh, what's that experiment cycle? How do I get good feedback from the experimenting that I'm doing without, you know, without reverting to you know, surveys where we take an average, which is not, mm. not actually a strong way to, to go about data gathering when you're leading from a, from a, you know, a data driven perspective. Um, so, you know, how else do you do it? How else do you gather information about the people that you're leading or the organization that you're leading uh, and move forward? And so that's that's some of the tools that Harvard has uh, provided for me. That's incredible uh, because one of my favorite things, I can't remember where I first heard it, but I, I do love the idea of, uh, you know, leaders always need to get used to seeing failures and mistakes in their own life, but then particularly in the people they lead in a, in a different light and realize that's part of the journey to ultimately to, you know, winning championships, so to speak, and really taking whatever the vision is and, and seeing it become a reality. But that's really hard to do, I've found for myself and anyone I work with. Um, but the idea of having a hypothesis, that's something I've been able to get my head around and I've seen that help people as well. So I love what you're talking about because... Mm -hmm. Uh, can I, can I easily accept failure? No, definitely not easily. I, I'm getting better at it, but can I position something I'm doing as a leader, a project that I'm working on, a project we're working on with my team, a project, one of the people on my team is working on. Can we position that as a hypothesis and then work towards that? Yes. And that makes failure. Um, you know, we become more like a scientist actually saying, well, that didn't work. Why? Uh, and this is part of the process of getting an answer. Um, so what have you found? What, 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 what have you found for you has been most helpful in thinking like that? Because that's, that's something every list, every leader listening is, could improve, uh, what they're doing if they can, um, if they can learn to do that better. Absolutely. Um, so what you're talking about, you know, when we form a hypothesis, we're really talking about the scientific method, right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, I'm not a scientist. What I do is is half art, half science. And it's, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Anybody working in the social sectors particularly are, gonna, are going to find themselves uh, without a, a really easily quantifiable um, 
job and, and, and ability to do things. If I were a salesman, it'd be very clear, you know, it's the <laughs> amount of money I'm bringing in. But as, a, as an educator, it becomes a little bit more complex how we measure those things. So you mentioned scientific method uh, ideas. Uh, to me, the thing that I'm pulling from Harvard, the thing that I find uh, interesting that I've been applying is something called design thinking. Uh, it's out there. It's practiced by every tech company. It's practiced by a lot of people in the sort of STEAM professions. Um, mm. And I sort of relate it to the scientific method, but I think it's the scientific method for people. Not, not for a scientific experiment, but a scientific method for people. Um, mm. Basically, it's, it's, um, it's, it's design around people, around what people need. Uh, it's hugely empathetic. Uh, and so, and that's actually the first stage of it is just empathizing. Uh, and there are lots and lots of tools for figuring out how to empathize with the people that we lead. Um, that, that right there, just, uh, looking for, um, you know, looking, basically looking, searching your environment for challenges and doing that through someone else's eyes. I think is the first step towards innovating in your organization in a way that is unique to your organization. Mm. So, you know, the first step of that cycle is empathizing. Then we get into defining the challenge. Then we ideate or we, we come up with some sample ideas that potentially solve for the, the challenge. Then we prototype those things and then we test. And we, we go through that cycle over and over again. Um, mm. But I found what's been very useful to me as a school leader is those empathy projects that I can initiate um, or those empathy tools that I can use. So, and that can be a wide, wide range of things. Everything from following a student around for a day to see what life is like from their viewpoint to... Yes. Um, to observing the people that are sitting in the meeting when you're discussing certain things and, and actually noting their body language, actually noting where they are engaged with what you're meeting about. Um, it, 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 again, there's a huge range of empathy tools that are out there um, to sort of get into the habit and get into the practice of scanning your environment for what's happening and viewing it with an idea of, supporting a, a solution to what other people see as an issue. So, you know, as, as a leader, this is where my vision then becomes multiplied because I'm looking at it from many, many different angles and able to, yeah. to, to, get, uh, to get more data input, even if it's very casual data, even if it's very um, temporary in the moment data, it's part of that gathering of, of my community, gathering of information from my community that's valuable to me as a leader to help figure out what the next steps are and particularly what the next innovative steps might be. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, and are, are there any stories that, uh, that have been, you know, that come to mind of how you've been doing this that are particularly memorable for you and, and have been really significant? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'll relay this one because it, it really, um, it kind of supports what I'm saying here. Uh, 
started at a new school in a new role. And, you know, one of my tasks was to talk with all the people that I'm the line manager. Uh, you know, let, let's talk about what are some things going on in, in your uh, position? What are some challenges mm -hmm. you're finding? Tell me about it. Uh, and in that conversation, um, discovered very quickly that uh, one of my department heads was really challenged by finding time for the adults to meet around the students' needs. Like it was just taking too much time out of, of the very busy school teachers' schedules uh, to get together to talk about how to support students that were struggling. Now they could be struggling with special education needs, they could be struggling with English language needs, they could be struggling with, you know, they're, they're living in a boarding house scenario and, and they're struggling, you know, to get along uh, socially. Um, there are many, many different needs, but what we were finding, uh, as I talked with one uh, department manager, was that as I began that conversation with other specialized department managers, they were repeating the same issue, which is we don't know when a child is struggling, we don't know quickly enough to intervene. We don't know well enough to know if this is a problem in only one area or if the child is struggling across many areas. Um, it just became an issue that was just very glaring as I talked with all of those department managers. And, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a bound issue because people are saying the issue is I don't have time to do this. So to discuss yeah. one child and to bring in all of these, you know, bring in the, perhaps if they're a high school student, they might have seven or eight teachers and then the specialist teachers bring them all in and, you know, just finding the time when we all can meet and to meet for a long enough time to really get to the heart of the problem. Um, it was, it was consuming, very consuming. Um, so in, in listening to that, I, I, we, brought them together with another uh, with another school administrator, our, our student uh, support person. And together, we just we just all talked around the table uh, and we got out basically everything that we could possibly think of that mm. was really standing in the way of us doing a good job supporting these students. Um, and it was a long list. It actually, to be honest, it took us several meetings because people need to talk about these things. They need to talk about what's going well, but they, they equally need to talk about what's not going well. And they equally need to talk about things that you can do something about as, as much as they need to talk about things that you can't do anything about. <laughs> um, so just even exhausting the conversation in the group, I think it took us about three meetings of, of potentially two or three hours each. Uh, just to just with those managers talking out uh, what the issue is. Um, mm. It's interesting, the longer I think that you empathize, the clearer it becomes to the group what the actual root problem is. Um, <laughs> so often it's easier to solve the surface symptoms of a problem than it is to solve the underlying root problem. And sometimes in talking in a large group like that, or, or you know, in having a meeting with, with like minds, you get to the point where you understand that what you thought it was. So my managers at that time were thinking it's a time management issue. I don't, I don't have time to meet with these, with these groups about a particular student. What, what we discovered was it was actually much deeper than that. It wasn't a time issue so much as it was a communication issue. Sure. Um, and as we began to really work on shaping a problem statement, uh, it, it really, 
shaping a challenge or a problem statement involves a little bit of art, right? So it, it, we went back to it several times. We added adjectives to it. We were looking for a way to, uh, to phrase out our challenge clearly and articulately, articulate it well, (laughs) Um, to articulate it in a way that helped us to begin to tackle it. So up to that point, we've spent a lot of time talking about problems, getting it into a position where we actually made an agreed upon challenge statement or problem statement, I think is another key area of growth that's come from doing this kind of work, this, this design thinking kind of work, which is Mm -hmm. so often when I, as a leader am talking with people, whether it's in a committee, whether it's between myself and a parent over a student's issue, whether it's, you know, speaking with my board, if we all don't understand the same, that we're trying to solve the same challenge, then we will, we will not be satisfied with the solution. So I think there's something to be said for spending some time empathizing. So you make sure that you actually get an agreed upon point of this is what the challenge is. And once you can get to that, I think you suddenly find yourself able to solve problems in your organization that are deeper than just that surface level symptom that we're talking about that may have, uh, that may, that may look very easy to solve. I just got to find more money or more time or more people or more whatever. It looks easy to solve, but suddenly you start solving deeper educational and, and organizational challenges. Uh, and it, yeah, it's a little time consuming on the front end, but again, getting to that challenge statement was pretty key for us to be able mm. to come up with a solution. I'll jump ahead without, without explaining everything we did uh, in once we got that challenge statement. But once yeah. we had that challenge statement, that entire group of people, that, that committee of people that had come together suddenly had a mission. Now we've got a real clear mission. We, we have a, a challenge statement that needs to be solved. Uh, basically, we we're saying, how might we create a system that solves, and we had some adjectives in there, uh, given that our, our organizational mission statement was to serve students, you know? So we're working together now on a really specific adverb, adjective rich uh, challenge statement. And now we all go away from this meeting, the last meeting that we've had where we've been empathizing and we just all think, you know, where, how can we solve now this very rich, very dynamic challenge. Uh, And so, you know, it begins to be at that point, uh, we're moving along the line to we're ideating, right? We're coming up with, okay, here's some potential solutions, some potential ways to address this challenge. um, And we're experimenting a bit with those, like, let's try them and see, let's try them and see. We finally came up with a prototype, which wound up being very innovative. Um, what we did was take a portion of a, an already existing um, uh, student information system and we repurposed it so that our teachers could give a very quick score on a very short rubric about how uh, individual students were doing in their homeroom classes. And I mean, it was a very simplified rubric. 
Uh, we asked some key areas of student well-being, things like you know how they're doing academically, their attention level, their uh, their, their attention uh, and attendance in the in the in the classroom, their seeming social interactions in the classroom, their um, you know how they seem to be doing on uh, their emotional health. Very short, very very easy. And we kind of set to zero for those homeroom teachers. And we just said, if you see a problem, tick the students up a number. Or if you see a really big num a really big problem, tick them up two numbers. And so we had a scale, very short scale, one, two, three, four. If the students were at that three or four, we were a little concerned if it happened in one class. If the student was at a three or four and it's happening across multiple classes, because now we can pull all that data together, in one report, we can say, oh, seven or eight teachers and all of them are ranking this student as doing great, or all of them are ranking this student as struggling socially, or all of them are ranking this student as didn't do their homework this week. That system being able to look very quickly supported coaches in the athletic department because they now said, oh, I don't want you to come out and play basketball, or I do want you to come out and play basketball, but I want to make sure you get your homework done first. So I'm going to set up extra help for you to make sure yeah. that you can play this week's game. Um, but we're going to make sure you get your math homework done before then, because that's where you're having an issue. All of a sudden, everybody was instantly alerted to where the weaknesses are with the students. Uh, and, and it was a very instant report. We were able to repurpose a, a staff member that became our uh, well-being coordinator. Um, we, we called her our success coordinator. And basically her whole task was to get that report from those individual teachers, uh, which took about five minutes for the teachers to do, not time consuming at all, get, it, get that report together and to communicate that to the coaches, the special coordinators, the lang English language person, the the dorm, the sorry, the boarding house director, the principal that might be involved, the individual teachers that may not realize that the child that's not doing well in a science class is also not doing well in his or her English class. Uh, and so what it did was it created the ability for uh, us as an organization to really have real communication in the moment timely enough to be able to support those kids well. Uh, and we saw instantly, we saw results because we were communicating better now with both parents and with students because suddenly the students were like, oh, we didn't know you knew that. We didn't, we didn't know, we didn't know you knew that we didn't turn in homework in all of our classes today. But that, yeah. that success coordinator is looking at the report going, oh dear, you know, here's one child that hasn't that hasn't done anything all this week is really struggling this week. And what was able what we were able to do with that is that instant feedback helped us to get instant help to those students in the appropriate area and then helped us to get those students moved on. And hopefully that next week you weren't seeing the same results. You were seeing some improvement. Um, and we, we got really great response from uh, from parents who were suddenly getting information more quickly than they ever had before, um, but in an innovative way. I think the typical school might connect those parents to, you know, the term grades or reports, um, you know, that come out when the when the when the teachers have finished 
you know, giving a score to a particular assignment or, or that type of thing, which is fine, but it doesn't tell the whole picture of the student. It doesn't show the, the, the strengths or weaknesses in all the areas that we want to know about a student. It's not just the academics, it's the social, it's the emotional, it's how are you getting along with your peers? Um, you know, and, and so it became a very innovative piece for us that really, um, energized everyone to rally around our school mission, our school organizational idea of being student-centered. Suddenly we were doing the thing we said we were doing, um, but we were really doing it. And that just, uh, I think, um, I think that what that does is it gives everybody a sense of success in the process because you are meeting the mission. It feels great to be able to actually see a difference and on the date, on the week to week basis, as we're doing this, um, you know, it just energized our, our entire community um, in a direction that was doing, again, what our mission statement was, which is to be student centered. Wow. <laughs> that is honestly an incredible story. And uh, I think all leaders will be scribbling notes, but I think the school leaders out there uh there'll be some school leaders who were listening to this in the car have pulled over <laughs> in a safe location <laughs> and are taking notes because that I, I tell you brenda and i know that you you know this is so exciting that's why you're so excited about it but that is honestly such an incredible story um in a school because that is what you just described is uh it's it's it has to be i can't think of a bigger challenge for uh, school leaders right now. And you're so right. It always comes up as a time management issue. And that is just incredible that you were able to see those results. And, and it's so simple. Yes. And that's just it. Again, I do think it comes back to defining that challenge correctly. If we, yes. had if I had defined, you know, that challenge at, without ever meeting as a group with those different department managers, um, if I had just defined it based on my first conversation, it would have been, how do I create more time for this person, right? Yes. Do I need to hire another person because it's just time consuming? But that wasn't what the real issue was. It wasn't a time issue. That was just the surface symptom. The real issue was we weren't communicating well as a school staff, right? The real issue came down to how do we create a system that is simple, effective, quick, and gives us all the data that we need to drive forward our different roles, our different, you know, what we, uh, again, in leadership circles, we call it, what's our theory of action? So now, now, once we have that communication going well, the student success coordinator, the principal, the English, uh, um, as a, as a uh, English language learner department um, leader, the special education needs leader, the, um, the, the, the boarding house leader, the, all the different areas now suddenly can take that and form their own theory of action, right? Oh, I know this kid has a problem. Now my theory of action is I know that if I give them good feedback, have a good conversation with this child, you know, perhaps support them in a different way, get them into a, a pattern of some sort, I can actually solve this problem. Yeah, that's um, that's such a and it's it's such a counterintuitive um, thought that you actually need to spend most time at the start to really nail the challenge because there's something in you that wants to just jump ahead and find a solution, but it's actually you just unpacked that so well. 
Um, well, let me jump into Leadership Express questions to land today. Are you ready? Yes. What is a book that you've gifted to other people? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I, I almost always gift um, First Days of School by Lee. Um, yeah, I almost always gift that to somebody because it's just the basics on how to be a good teacher. So when I'm coaching teachers or when I'm coaching teacher leaders, that generally becomes one of my big ones. It's old, but it's good. Oh, that's so good. I love a good recommendation like that, that, um, that I haven't had on here before and, uh, particularly for school leaders, but also that's, that's, uh, that's just really interesting. I'm sure there'd be, um, principles in there that would apply beyond uh, just school as well. So good. Okay. Any great podcasts you're listening to at the moment or other sources you're enjoying reading, watching, listening to right now? No, but it's bringing to mind schooling by design, which is a McTie book. Uh, which I think most most educators are familiar with understanding by design. Um, but there's one called Schooling by Design, which is a little lesser known work. And that little book is, a, is such a gem. I reference it all the time about aligning my mission, aligning my uh, aligning all the things in a school. Uh, just really essential, I think. Uh, and so I, I do that one sits on my desk. I reference it a lot. Yeah, love it. Another great recommendation. What's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? I'm working my way through through how to shape a really good theory of action. Mm. Uh, so uh, I'm spending a bit of time on that idea and you know what it is, what it isn't, how to make it how to make it better, how to be give some clarity in it, so that when I'm working with a team of some sort. Uh, I can clarify that with them. Like, what is your takeaway here now that we've come to the point where we understand the problem, we've got a prototype for the solution. Now, what's your theory of action? How are we going to use our beliefs as a person to enact uh, a, a, an idea? Yeah, love it. What's a great piece of advice you've received? Um, it's one that I received probably 20 years ago and that's fit the task to the time and not the time to the task, um, which might sound counterintuitive to everything I just said, but it isn't, um, it's, it's knowing where to spend your time and, yeah. you know, we have limited time. So sometimes you just say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best, whatever the thing is that I'm responsible for in one hour that I can possibly do rather than spend 20 hours on something that you know, probably can't be improved upon in that time. I'm just going to give myself this amount of time and I'm going to do the task in that amount of time. And I'm just going to do the best I can with that. That's fantastic advice. What's a big struggle or problem that you see educational leaders facing today? Post COVID, how it changes education or doesn't change education, I think is, is going to be a really interesting question. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's uh, it's obviously affected everyone in every sector, but I I really feel that uh, educational leaders are um, have been yeah it's been a real shake up, and there's a lot of people who are struggling. Um, there's a lot of amazing opportunities and amazing stories, and a lot of a lot of people that are just just clinging on to um to to get through the school year in different parts of the world. I think uh, a movie or TV show that really impacted you. A movie or TV show? Um, can I say a book, but not in my field? 
uh, is the 1619 Project, which is quite controversial in America right now, talking about uh, historical roots of uh, African Americans or Black Americans uh, and their experiences. Uh, so, yeah. 1619 project. 1619 project. Thank you. That's great. And uh, okay, two more because I want to ask you this one. What's a tip for finding and keeping great talent? I think that having the conversation with the referees for any position that you're seeking to hire is is it's worth spending a little more time with the referees. I know we all want to like here's three reference forms sent out to three different people that this person used to work for. But I think it's worth a bit of a conversation. Uh, I, I think it tells you a little more deeply who the candidate is. And there are many times when I wish that I'd had those conversations um, when I'm when I'm having to make some corrective actions with an with an employee, because I discover that, you know, this isn't this is something they've never been given feedback on in the past. So it's really helpful, I think, to know to do a little dig a little deeper on the references and, you know, find out what is the feedback they've been given in their prior employment and, you know, how can we support coaching people into their roles and actually affecting, you know, some change so that they grow professionally. Yeah, that's, that's a great uh, thought. I love uh, Patrick Lencioni's work around the ideal team player and he talks about a question to ask referees, um, which I've found really helpful is rather than saying, you know, say humility, like what, how did you find this person was to work with in terms of, you know, being able to own responsibility for their mistakes and, and, you know, share when they don't know, he actually talks about just shifting it and saying, what do you think, how do you think other team members saw this person or how do you think their team saw them? And it's such a tiny change, but I think it, it lets people off the hook to tell you, you know, without wanting to, you know, a, a good leader yeah. who's had that person before then might feel comfortable to say, well, look, I think in their team, there was a bit of a sense that they blah, blah, blah. Whereas sometimes saying that about someone can, people can feel a bit torn because you, you really do want the best for that person, but you also want to be honest. Um, so I just found mm-hmm. that's a little hack that I that I found really helpful when you're talking to a referee is just to change the language to say how did how do you think some of their team found them in this way or that way, just to take it off mm-hmm. their personal experience and to let them off the hook a bit. That was just a thought that came into my mind when you shared that, so I thought I'd throw that out there. Um, okay, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? I, uh, I've been asked this question before, and I always think that my answer is sometimes surprising to people because it's not a feel good measure. Um, (laughs) my advice to young people that want a leadership position is to sit in on every difficult conversation that you possibly can. So when that parent is screaming in a school, when that um, teacher is crying in a school, when that, you know every yeah. bad scenario that you possibly can, sit in on those because there's a lot to be learned from how different leaders approach those things. And I certainly, um, I certainly have learned from uh, when I was coming up before I was a head of school, watching my own head of school be incredibly patient in places where I would just have gotten up and left the room. I just didn't have the patience for it. But to watch somebody else have the patience to really work through a problem is so valuable and see how the, how, how they 
speak and act in those meetings, um, yeah, yeah, really becomes inspirational that I want to be that kind of leader. Um, and it, that only really comes out, I think, when things are really, um, I'd say, with a high degree of emotion around it, right? So whether that's mm. whether that's you know upset parents or or you know a sad and unhappy teacher or a sad and unhappy kid, you know what's the what's the what's the learning point you can get from watching other people interact um, and just being I don't want to say a fly on the wall, but in some in some cases I think that's that's that is what you're doing. You don't need to to be part of the conversation, but just yeah. to to observe how other people's other people respond. And I think that many young leaders get discouraged when they get into those scenarios and they don't know what to do. Um, you know, it's really hard to sit in a room when somebody's not happy and yeah. that can be really discouraging to the profession, right? So you walk into that room, you have a bad experience and you're like, I don't know if this whole leadership thing is for me. And mm. what observing others, when you are, when you can be relaxed, observing others get through that, I think helps you to see that it's normal. It's, this is a normal uh, thing to deal with. And it maybe helps you regulate your own emotions a bit more so that you're not, uh, going home and having a restless night of sleep. Um, you know, because you observe something that didn't go down emotionally the way you needed it to. So I, I think it does help you to regulate that when you see others dealing with, uh, difficult experiences, difficult communications. That's wonderful advice. I've never had that as um, as the thought, but I think that is a really profound and great piece of advice because it doesn't get much harder than being the leader in those conversations. So why not um, embrace the fact that, particularly as a young leader, any opportunities you get to watch how leaders navigate those is going to be gold. Uh, that's fantastic, Brenda. Uh, well, for those, particularly for those school leaders who want to... Uh, <laughs> who really want to hunt you down and find out how on earth you did that around well-being. <laughs> but also, no, also um, for anyone who wants to get in, in touch with you and and uh, maybe they found something you've shared today really helpful, uh, where can people find you online in terms of LinkedIn or, you know, any, any way they can contact you or the organization? Absolutely. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, then that would be my preferred way to connect with me. And I'm Brenda Williamson, EDD. Uh, is my profile fairly easy to find? Not a whole lot of us. Uh, and then you'll see that uh, my 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 um, professional re uh, resume includes Vietnam, Korea, Indonesia. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. People can find you there. Um, well, I want I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And uh, today's been such a great episode and I've learned a lot about design thinking and uh, it's definitely got my my brain ticking over around how I can apply this with myself and also with clients. Um, don't forget listeners you can also check out my John O'White leadership podcast where I give you more just tips on how to cast vision and how to build a high performance team and the leadership question of the day where I ask you a different question every day to put a stone in your shoe and just help you to really grow as a leader and uh, embrace being uncomfortable and, uh, and growing. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Brenda for sharing some great stories. And, uh, and really, I just found the way you articulated and unpacked design thinking um, in, in, you know, your sector and how you've done that as a leader has will really help a lot of people. So um, thank you for being so generous with your time and coming on here. All right, thank you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John White or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. 
And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.